Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Chellers Wine Market in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you're in school or think back to when you were in school, there are days when you wonder why you're wasting your time getting an education, right? On those days when you're thinking about dropping out, some encouraging older person invariably tells you it's worth hanging in and graduating because you never know what you might end up doing with your degree. If you need living proof of this advice, you could point to my two lunch guests here with me today. Jamie Glass got a BS in petroleum engineering from LSU and started out working as an engineer in the oil field. Working on rigs, Jamie realised that the protective clothing that she and other women were given to wear was designed for men. It was ill-fitting and baggy in the wrong places. It didn't just look bad, it was actually dangerous. So Jamie designed a line of protective, fire-retardant clothing for women. She calls it hot work. The 22% of the oil and gas industry that is made up of women are loving Jamie's designs and wearing them. Jamie, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Willem Maas got a BASC, a degree in applied science, from the Queen's University in his native Canada, then went to work in the oil field in New Iberia for Halliburton. When Willem got laid off during a downturn, he helped someone come up with a set of drawings for a prototype piece of equipment, which the guy went on to sell to none other than Halliburton. That experience 20 years ago gave Willem the confidence to start his own drafted and design business, which he called WMD Squared, which stands for Willem Marsh Drawing and Design. Today, Willem has 13 employees and a wealth of clients in fields as diverse as marine, motorsports and oil and gas, who use WMD Squared as their company's design division. Willem, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Jamie, as I mentioned, 22% of the workforce in oil and gas engineering are women. That's thousands of people. Presumably, many of these women thought the same as you did, that the available protective clothing designed for men is unflattering and dangerous. Possibly the reason that none of these thousands of other women created a line of fire-redundant clothes for women is that these women are engineers, not clothing designers, which is exactly what you were. After you had this initial idea, how did you go from being an engineer to a clothing designer? Well, I first want to kind of stop you there because I... I still call myself an engineer. Engineers to me are problem solvers and we're doers. You're just a clothing engineer. I'm just a clothing engineer. Exactly. So, um, so, you know, I think that any woman out there, and I actually get that feedback from women a lot. They say, man, we thought we could, we wanted to start a line, but we didn't know how to do it. And I think I've always kind of prided myself on being a doer. You know, I just, I, I don't have any inhibitions. I just go for it. And um, so that's what, what I did, and I did it on the side of my job as an engineer But you're making first. it still sound remarkably easy. Now, surely <laughs> other women easy. had put on these things and thought, oh, I need to take a belt with me next time, or somebody should design something. What made you do it? How did that spark an idea? How did you actually start doing I, it? You know, I put it on. I have always loved clothes. Growing up, I always wore, I wore something different every day. I just had a passion for it, and I actually took some fashion classes my first semester of college. So I was in like fashion, engineering, 
I took Chinese. I have a minor in Chinese. Um, of course. So I took all these different classes to figure out what I liked. And then, um, so I had some experience in And it. you're right, the fashion, making clothes and engineering are very similar Very, things. very similar. And very mathematical. You know, when, when you get down to like the pattern, a 2D pattern of, a, of clothing, it's probably sim- similar to some of like the drawings that William de- deals with every day. So, um, and we'll talk late, later about how you actually made it happen because I think that's the fascinating bit for all of us. Yeah. Willem, if someone has a great idea for a product like, say, fiery tartan clothing for women <laughs> or any other oil filled product, but they don't know what to do with the idea, would you be the person to go to? Maybe you could walk us through what one of these initial conversations with someone who thinks they have a great idea for a new invention looks like. First of all, how does someone trust you with their billion-dollar idea? Do you sign a non-disclosure agreement before the conversation even starts? Typically, yes. We recommend that uh, we sign a non-disclosure with uh, the person that we're discussing with. It's more to protect them than us, but... We have to, in our business, we keep a lot of secrets with each of our customers, and we have to keep those siloed or separate. So it's Because you know their designs in very specific terms. It's not just a general thing. You know every probably more about their designs than they do by the end of the process. Right. Uh, ideally, we like to know as much as they do and, you know, kind of share in that. So we're, you know, mutually making the product together. But exactly right. We do know very specific you know, all the, the secret sauce behind the design. So how do sure. people find you? Is it something they look online and just call you, or is it always a recommendation? Ironically, we're working on that. The online, we don't get a ton of work from online. It's a lot of word of mouth or referrals, typically. So, you know, if you're going to trust somebody, a lot of times if you're recommended personally, it, it helps, and that usually kind of accelerates the process. Okay. This is always my interesting question. Do you have to like someone that comes to you with a design or will you work with anyone? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Or do you have to like their work? Do you have to like the idea to... Honestly, I like to believe in the idea. You know, I I like to see that it's feasible, it's cost-worthy, and that they can... It would be something that could be mass-produced, you know, within reason for a reasonable cost. And do you find with shows around like Shark Tank on the TV, more and more people have ideas that they think are going to be brilliant and bring them to you? I think around here, generally, a lot of people have a lot of good ideas, you know, just in the Acadiana area. Like, I think that's sort of uh, unique to this. He's smooth on the radio, isn't he? Just our listeners have great ideas. They do. Yes. <laughs> Jamie, you changed the name of your company originally. Would you like to tell us that story? Originally, it was called Hot Stuff. Originally, it was called Hot Stuff. So when the first the idea came to me when I was in an intern in college. So I was, this was back in 2009, so almost 10 years ago now. And so if you can imagine the state of you know so society then versus now, um, I, I came that day, I, I put on my first pair of FRCs. They were over, ill-fitting, oversized. And I thought, why don't they have, you and know, that's women's... that's fire-retardant clothing? Yeah, fire-retardant fire or flame-resistant clothing. So I thought, why, why isn't anyone coming up with a female silhouette? I called my mom up and I said, hey, mom, like, I want to come up with, I want to make a, a flame-resistant clothing design for women. She said, you should call it Hot Stuff. And it was like, yeah, perfect. It makes perfect sense. It's catchy. It really is very catchy. And I mean, is your mom someone you normally call with for business advice? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. She's definitely a role model of mine. 
um, work. She's still working. She's worked at the same company for 43 years as a stockbroker. So um, okay, she she's knows like stuff the then. professional woman that I look up to. But um, but yeah, so I was like, hot stuff. That's so cute. Started using the name. It started catching on. Everyone started using it, and so hot stuff safety wear was born. And then about probably March of this year, I was um, in a pretty important meeting with a big um, drilling contractor and not Halliburton, but another. And um, the COO, who is a man, said, you know, I love what you're doing. I'm all about inclusion for our But workforce. I can't order stuff called hot But stuff. I can't give my, you know, the employees that work for me who are female something that says hot stuff. It's just not, you know... It's not okay in today's environment. I have to protect myself, which and, I understood. And I believe your emails were getting caught in spam exactly, filters as yep, well. That exactly happened, yep. So what would happen, Willem, if someone like like Jamie came with an idea and you recognized, do you look at all of those things? Do you look at the fact that the name might not work or do you simply design what they ask you to design? Typically, you know, our stuff's a little, I don't want to say black and white, but... You know, we're dealing with steel components or plastic or aluminum, and what our customers are typically trying to do is create a certain function or move some equipment from one place to another. And so when we get a product or design, we typically... um, it's usually relatively straightforward whether or so not So do people work come with you f- to you with an object that they ask you to then work out the design for or do they come to you with something invisible that you then create? Both. So we'll either have a napkin sketch as we might call it or a verbal rendition of what they want to do. You know, I want to pick this pipe up from here and I want to place it over here or we'll actually get a prototype. So they'll have something already built. So the customer you mentioned early on, they actually had already built a prototype, right? And said, but they hey, didn't have the detailed drawings of correct. it. Correct. Yeah, they had probably 20 of them made. And they said, hey, we want to make more of these and improve them, but we don't have a drawing package. So what I did was give them a set of drawings so they could make more of them. And then, you know, they liked it so much they, you know, I continued supporting him even after he sold the product to Halliburton. Did you work so, on Lift Horse? I did. Do you want to explain what that is? Sure. It's uh, <laughs> So Lift Horse was a, a product that was created. It was a lift cart. So it, there was an inventor who had kind of come up with an idea, built a prototype for a unit that would actually... It was a lift cart, so, you know, like an appliance dolly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but it was typically used to haul uh, air conditioners, okay? And what the lift horse does is it actually loads itself into the back of a pickup truck. So you can move a very heavy piece of equipment with just one person, and it's very safe as a result. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It was a brilliant design by the customer. So what we do then is we kind of take that, apply engineering, create drawings, and help them have something as a basis for production. So they can do, you know, 20 or 100 or 100,000, you know, depending on what they want to do. Jamie, I'm still fascinated by this moment when you thought this should happen, and then you went and did it. Are there other things you see day to day that you think that should change and are you starting companies to fix them? Yep. 
Exactly. Um, Can you give us some examples? <laughs> well, they're actually all clothing related. And that just kind of speaks to that I love, I've always loved clothes and fashion. But um, generally, if I see a product or a piece of clothing that I want and I can't find on the market, I make it and I make enough so that I can, you know, service other people that might want it. Why did you go into engineering and not fashion? <laughs> the money. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it. I, for a long time, I was like, you know, I, I love the world of petroleum engineering. I mean, the oil and gas business, which is very big around Lafayette, is what fuels the world. You know, every literally. product, literally, yeah. like every product you look at has some component of oil and gas, um, you know, that produced it. So it's it, you start working in it and it's just kind of infectious and, and you just want to, you know, you want to keep working there. Um, so I did my first, when I did my first internship around the same time that I came up with the idea, I didn't really know if that's what I wanted to do. I just said, hey, they're sending me out to California. I'll, I'll try it out. And then I just loved it. So I know there are lots of people that listen that have ideas all the time. They're like, I could improve that. I could make that better. So after calling their mothers to check that, you know, <laughs> yeah. they've got a good name for the company, what's the next Well, maybe step? don't listen to your mother because obviously <laughs> that wasn't a great idea. It was a great name for the first yeah. few years. So for a couple of years. what's the next step? How did you make it from there to... I mean, I hate to say this, but today you can Google anything, um, you know, and I knew that this was a product that had to abide by safety regulations, so I just started Googling all the regulations. I looked in my clothes, I saw where the codes were, and I looked them up, bought the codes, read them all. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of resources now. I mean, at least on the clothing side, there's a platform called Maker's Row that connects you with a lot of, like, manufacturers and components and stuff, so I went on there. And it, you end up really hearing, you know, you contact one factory, they put you to another factory, to another factory, and it's a word of mouth thing until you finally, you know, kind of reach the one that fits. And were um, you always determined that it would be made in the U.S.? I originally did. That was a, like, in my first business plan, that was, you know, I don't know, some part of it. We will be made in the U.S.A. And then I actually did some production in Mexico, um, a few, like, my first production, so two years ago. Um, and I, I wasn't pleased with the quality of it and the timing and the lack of control that I had. So I came back to the U.S. and it's worked out. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Jamie Glass from Hot Work and Willem Mast from WMD Squared. Willem, how does new technology affect your business? We've seen this big phase of kind of artificial intelligence coming in, and now it seems like there's a whole new wave of augmented reality coming back around. Um, how did they affect your business? Do you immediately encompass them and put them into what you do, or is it a slow process? Like we're a small engineering firm, you know, 13 people, but we're able to supply sort of enterprise, a world-class level engineering and technology to our customers to help them so the smaller customers can compete with the bigger companies but then we can also just work in tandem with the larger companies because we work with the same uh, software and equipment that they use so because people are coming to you with ideas do you ever love them so much that you get an equity stake in them or are you always completely detached from what happens to them after you honestly we've done that we've sort of tiptoed into that you might say a little bit but typically I think our strength is in engineering and doing the drafting and drawing so typically we try to stay focused on that component 
and uh, doing that one thing that you're really good at. Right, right. In terms of the equity and stuff, it's you know it's very difficult to define at the beginning of a product what the value is, right? And so if I'm doubling or tripling the value, how is that defined? There's really no metrics in place, so it's very difficult to where we would all come out like to to see the future right yeah and, and so that we end up and it right used spot, to be doubling so. tripling and now people think they should immediately 10x of value and it's got a little bit crazy out there <laughs> right right totally agree yeah, yeah. and i i'm kind of facing that right now because i've i've funded this on my own like i saved up money as an engineer because i told you i was an engineer to make money and then instead of buying a house and all that i just put it in the bank and did this and now it's like People are coming to me and they're like, we want to invest. We want to help take you to the next level. But how much equity do you give them? How much, you know, right. what are they going to provide you other than capital? Because you know? they're gambling on your future, but they want to take the prices that are now. Yeah, and exactly. And I, I mean, I'm interested in that and talking about that and, and talking to people. But I'd really be looking for someone who could provide more than just capital. Willem and Jamie, this is the part of the show that we call your brother-in-law. You're on your way home and thinking about getting some time away from work when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. Normally he only calls when he's in the neighborhood around dinner time and he's going to stop by. But this time it's different. This time he has a business proposition. Jamie. Oh, no. (laughs) Your brother-in-law says times are changing in the oil field. Now that business is coming back, there's competition for good people. One of the ways companies can compete and attract the best people is to offer incentives, like fashion-forward protective clothing. Women look great in hot work, so why shouldn't men look hip at work too? Your brother-in-law suggests he joins the company and he heads up a division called Hot Men. What do you tell him? Actually, I get asked for that more than you think. Um, A ton of men all the time ask me for better-fitting clothing, FRC or flame resistant clothing I think um, there are some brands out there who have done a good job but I think where I see the industry going and I and I do understand that you know we had discussions about this before where some people see this as just a coverall that you put on when you have to like walk to an area where you need to have it on and then they take it off but a lot of us me included when I used to work in the field would wear it all day every day then you'd go to dinner I mean I'm sitting here wearing it right now it looks great and I feel fine and so I think that's kind of part of the industry is going to that more fashion forward stuff. And you can go in any workwear store and see like plaid button downs and that are FR. Why wouldn't you want to look good and be safe? Yeah, why not? So I think um, that exists. I think, but to answer your point, I think um, a lot of the men's options out there are geared towards like a Western feel, maybe, <laughs> you know, because, because it's Texas and Louisiana. And it, so it's like plaid shirts, you know, jeans with emblems on and as a younger generation take those over who are used to dressing differently who are you so so you know i've i i would be lying if i said men haven't asked me to make flame resistant skinny jeans because men wear skinny jeans these days you know they don't wear the boot cut and isn't it a natural brand extension yeah so yeah i'd say we can talk but (laughs) that brother-in-law has come up with ideas before (laughs) i don't know if i would have him do it (laughs) maybe someone else it's funny you say that because you know, uh, my back when I was younger in high school, I worked for uh, a soft goods retailer doing like outdoor wear, like ski wear and that type of stuff, cycling gear. And so, I've always really liked the technical end of clothing. And just looking at your 
your product, your clothing, it's obvious you've got some more technical aspect to it. And it's what I always found lacking in the the clothing that I saw was just it was literally it was technical fabric, but they just didn't apply any right and, yeah. but also the and also the hem considered we're going skiing what do you need during the day what do you, right. you know it's those practical things exactly yeah. like pit zips right right you need stuff like that yeah. <laughs> i feel like that's a name for the future pit zips, pit zips. <laughs> ah. i think you two should yeah, yeah. Hang out and talk yeah. afterwards because like your backgrounds might be really good at this um, yeah have you had any anyone come in with a clothing, clothing design idea? no well so I actually taught my wife to sew. My mom taught me to sew. And when, uh, this is little known fact, but when I was in college, I had this idea that I could go to Goodwill, buy a whole bunch of clothes, sew an emblem on it. Because when I was in school, everyone shopped at Goodwill or we had this other store called Value Village, right? And I so, went to design college. We all got our clothes right. from. And so like, I was like, what if I put a logo on it? Would people pay 10 times the two dollars that I paid. Oh, the irony! I kind right. of like this. So I did. I was they into what? photography, so I did a bunch of photography with my friends wearing stuff, doing cool things, and I did it. We had a sidewalk sale every year, and I sold a bunch of stuff in my final year that I'd kind of put together, and that was a couple of my friends joke. You know, how's that clothing brand going? You know, I called it, and so after the fact, you know, it was something I tried and. Maybe it's a great idea, but I'll just let that let someone else handle that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Take but it. We're all quitting our jobs and get to start a company together. Yeah. Right. Well, um, your brother-in-law says he has a great idea for an invention. They always do these brother-in-laws, don't mm. they? It's the self-lighting cigarette. Think about it. Everyone who smokes needs a light. For people who vape, those e-cigarettes light themselves. Your brother-in-law's idea is the same sort of technology that fires up e-cigarettes built into the cigarette pack. Sure, it allowed a couple of cents of the cost of packet cigarettes, but people who smoke seem to be prepared to pay anything. Plus, it's super convenient. When you think of the number of the smokers in the world, this has got to be a billion-dollar idea. What do you tell your brother-in-law? You're nuts. I'm like you're going to burn down your house and all your customers' houses. <laughs> so that, yeah, that would be a large safety concern. I'd be probably concerned about inadvertent ignition. So, so you're out straight away. Yeah. But what if everyone was wearing flying re flame retardant clothing? Right. Then it wouldn't matter. It's what if true. all our normal That's clothes true. would just happen to be right. flame retardant? Yeah. Right. No, we could do that. We could make some, actually some little pouches, flame retardant pouches that it could go in. So if that. it did combust, you know, it would be self-contained. Or oh, we could deliberately so we have could. them combust sometime to sell more flame retardant right. yeah. clothing. Right. Show how good the Hot Pockets Hot Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I think that name may have already been taken, but if not... No, this is Hot Pockets. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think that's been taken. <laughs> Man, I actually might take that for like some sort of little baggie. To put there you on. go. Yes, grab it now. Hotpockets.com. Yeah. Hot <laughs> How important do either of you think? Obviously, names matter. And have you ever? Do you have products that come to you where you're like the name's wrong, or when you named your own company, we, you know, you got to the name by the design? And right. Well, absolutely. Like so. What's funny is my father-in-law actually told me early on, he's like, 
WMD squared is a horrible name for an engineering firm. You know, it doesn't explain what you do. It doesn't illustrate anything. And like, I was kind of like, we were kind of stuck with it. Like we were so busy at the time. And you can't sell it because it's your own name on it. Right. So I was kind of just like, sure, it's a horrible name, but let's just, you know, we'll move on. And so we've kind of we've kind of just let it be what it is and you know we've got some recognition and honestly it's it's uh a lot of people actually confuse it with mwd which is measurement while drilling so people think man wmd i think i've heard of you before (laughs) (laughs) when a bunch of people spend any amount of time together either at work or socially it's almost inevitable that eventually somebody is going to say i've got a great idea It seems like all of us at one point or another have an idea that could make billions of dollars if we just knew what to do with it. The difference between having a billion dollar idea and having a billion dollars in your bank account is the very act of taking the step from an idea to doing something about it. Jamie, you had the courage to take that step. Willem, you're helping people take that step every day. Jamie and Willem, it's been great meeting you. Thank you both for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jamie Glass, founder and owner of Hot Work, and Willem Mast, founder and CEO of WMD Squared. You can find out more about Jamie's fire retardant clothing and Willem's drafting and designs by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and krvs 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Marcello's Wine Market Cafe on Calice Saloon in Lafayette. Marcello's is open for lunch Monday through Friday and dinner Monday through Saturday, serving fine Italian cuisine with a full range of fine wines. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur, Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Out to Lunch Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana and Destin Ortego from The Opportunity Machine. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. 